0: Welcome to Mama Talk Talks, A Different Take, a podcast where everyday people around the globe share a different take on everyday issues. I'm your host, AB Mambo, and I'm pleased you're joining us today. Welcome. (laughs) Hi, Kelly. Hi, Abi. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. How are you? I'm doing well, thank you. Doing well. So it's a little later in the morning in South Africa, is it? Yeah.
1: Half 11.
0: So <laughs> what's the Friday. <laughs> on Friday? Any big plans for the weekend?
1: No big plans. Uh, you know, mostly hanging out with family, with the kids, recuperating after a, a busy week. That's the main aim.
0: Good. I'm really happy you're here for a number of reasons. First of all, you're a super busy, professional woman, mom of two, wife. There's a lot on your plate, and so okay. just taking <laughs> taking the time to come chat with us and Mama talk talk is fantastic. But I'm also excited because. One of the things we do on this show is bring people on board who have very different perspectives on a wide range of issues and just having known you for a few years and knowing your background, I'm really, really excited to get into everything about your work, being a mom, juggling, and of course, bodybuilding. So I'm looking for... Ah,
1: yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll jump into bodybuilding or weightlifting, as I, which is what I do, as we-
0: opposed to bodybuilding. Weightlifting. Yeah. So what's the difference between bodybuilding and weightlifting? Mm-hmm.
1: Weightlifting is kind of the overarching umbrella in terms of lifting weights. You know, you can just lift weight in the gym, you're a weightlifter, you can lift weight and compete. So you can compete in Olympic weightlifting, which is clean and jerk, and then the snatch. Then you've got powerlifting, which is also a very competitive sport, and that's three lifts, the deadlift, the squat, and the bench press. And then you've got bodybuilding, which is slightly different because that's almost like a fashion show meets very scientific dieting and so depending on your height and your build you're allocated to a class and then wow. basically you're kind of creating this ultimate physique you know I'm not a bodybuilder so I don't know all of the categories but you could go from more of like a a beach body which is like not a lot of definition yeah and then you go all the way up to like the more kind of hardcore super shredded you know lots of very visible muscles it takes I mean for all of the sports it takes a lot of commitment and but for bodybuilding I think it's definitely like the most extreme and you know in a good way the most extreme because you have to be so precise you have to be very precise with your nutrition and sustain that for a long period of time because yeah
0: you know it's a lot (laughs) I'm listening to you talk about that and my body just hurts just from listening too much. I want to discipline. So in case the audience thinks they stumbled on the wrong show, you have not. No, 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 no. We dove right into it and we'll come back to weightlifting. So but let's go back to all the way to the introduction. So Kelly. Yeah. If you can just share with the audience who you are and we'll take it from there.
1: Sure. So my name is Kelly Melia. I just turned 30. I'm originally from the UK, but I now live in South Africa. I'm a mom of two. I'm expecting my third in July, August. I am know that. Yeah, that in there. Oh
0: my God. <laughs> Kelly, how am I signing these out on air? Like, what? seriously? That's the best way. It's the best way. This is shows the authenticity. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. I was wondering where the camera is like at your chest. I was like, yeah. Oh, I mean, goodness. I don't have a huge, but i got a little one. Look, right there. <laughs> Congratulations. Yeah. Oh, my. Thank you. That was a great surprise. Yeah. <laughs> I uh, love Yeah. Oh, so,
1: wow. Mom of two, nearly three. businesswoman. I'm finishing off my master's right now. Yeah. And, you know, sister, friend, daughter, all those other labels that we give ourselves. <laughs> yeah. um,
0: so, oh, well, <laughs> I'm badass, I will- is how i call it. <laughs>
1: yeah I say I work in the energy industry I work in energy events and conferences and I've been in the kind of wider energy industry since 2013 um, when I first started working for an oil and gas publication that's the space it's not something that I kind of ever envisioned myself working in Mm. and I kind of stumbled into it but it's worked out really well and yeah it's super interesting and super dynamic awesome
0: awesome So I'm still recovering from the surprise. (laughs) So now that my head is screwed back on, right. So you were born and raised in the UK, and you mentioned that you live in South Africa now. How did you find yourself in South Africa?
1: Yeah, I grew up in Birmingham, born and bred. I spent between the ages of zero and 21 in the UK. I had a dream of going traveling. I wanted to learn Spanish, so... At the age of 22, it saved a bit of money, and I went for what I thought was going to be a six-month adventure, um, turned into a year and a half. I spent some time in Argentina, in Colombia, in Uruguay, Costa Rica. I fell in love with Colombia and ended up staying for over a year. I got to a level of Spanish that I really wanted, yeah. and you know I was enjoying myself, but I couldn't find a job. Mm-hmm. And I spent maybe four or five months looking for a job. To, you know I got some leads, couldn't find anything. And a friend of mine's brother had worked in publications, and he'd worked in a publication that looked at energy. And, you know, he said, like, this is something interesting that you could get into. They're always looking for people who have worked internationally and have language skills. So he recommended a few publications to me. I applied, did all my interviews over Skype. And I managed to get a job for a, a publication that was based in Istanbul okay. that served oil and gas markets all over the world. So um, I started working for them. And my first assignment was in Trinidad and Tobago. I was there for a few months. Big up all the Trinis because it's such a fun country. <laughs> and, and then my next assignment was in Equatorial Guinea. So that's how I, that was my first experience um, of the continent. Anyone who doesn't know where Equatorial Guinea is, it's a very, very small Country, west coast of Africa, in between Cameroon and Gabon. Yeah, it's the only Spanish-speaking country in, on, on the continent. Um, I think I knew that. Yeah, it's the only Spanish-speaking. Obviously, you've got Portuguese-speaking, also yeah. francophone. But yeah, it's the only the only Spanish-speaking country. I
0: learned something new very on this show all the time. For some reason, I thought we we're Portuguese-speaking because the idea mm-hmm. of a Spanish-speaking African country—just French, yes, English, yes. Mm. Portuguese speaking, yes. Spanish, okay. And Malabo is right there. It's like a thirty minute flight from from Yaoundé.
1: Yeah, I mean, you can see Cameroon, like you know, on a clear day, you can see the mountain, right? It, it was, and that's where I met my husband, who, who's Cameroonian, and that was not my first taste of Africa. When we were together, we always knew that we would always end up on the continent. And in terms of the best the locations that we came up with, it was between Accra and Johannesburg. You know, I'd never visited either at the time. Mm-hmm. I liked the idea of being based in South Africa. I had a good thing. I first started coming to South Africa in 2015. Mm-hmm. We actually got married here. We had our legal wedding in South Africa, and then we were always going back and forth, and then officially moved 2017. So it's nearly three years.
0: And I think that's about the time we met. In yes, I guess we met in 2017. Yeah, because yes, yes. yeah. I had moved in 2016 yeah. to Johannesburg. Wow, time mm-hmm. flies. And so three years and almost three kids later, here we are.
1: I know, I know. Yeah, here we are. I mean, we yeah, have four between
0: us. Yeah, four between <laughs> us. I know, I have one and you're yeah. holding down the fourth.
1: <laughs> yeah, so it's been good. Yeah, I mean, I love Joburg as a city. When a lot of people think of South Africa, I think naturally they think of called Cape Town because it's yeah. more of a tourist destination yeah. and Western Cape. But for me, Joburg is the best city on the continent I believe for business yeah and for culture yeah and if you want to make waves on the continent I think it's a
0: pretty good base to be in yeah I absolutely love Joburg and here whenever people ask me about South Africa they always say oh okay I hear Cape Town is lovely but Johannesburg is and I'm like okay whatever you're going to say <laughs> <laughs> Don't believe it. I mean, there's some truth to it, right? Some of the crime rate and whatnot, but it's not really different from most many major cities in the world. But what yeah, usually, I mean, especially US cities, you know, is yes. comparable. Yeah. Yes. What I usually say, I think Joburg does not get the rap it deserves, especially when you look at it from the culture and the history mm-hmm. and just how diverse mm-hmm. it is, and it's an incredible hub for business. So. Before I moved there I had actually lived in um, Cape Town for about 6 months back mm. in 2006. Okay. So I was one of those who just flew right over Joburg and went to Cape Town and this time living there I had such a hard time when we had to leave and move to Singapore because we loved it. Just absolutely loved it.
1: Yeah, and you were so you had like your people, your community, your yes. network and yes.
0: yeah. Yeah, there's a warm to it and a cadence to how people move that I don't see mm. here now even though I love Singapore but I think Jobac just gets a really bad rep and it's a lot better and it's a great city anyway mm. I digress I want to take you back to mm. traveling around the world and finding yourself in the energy mm. sector as I watch you situate yeah. yourself with that nice big deli. <laughs> so you are by heritage your parents are they both British We've
1: talked about yeah, these. so my parents are both British. My mom is a naturalised British citizen. She was born in Jamaica.
0: Mm.
1: She moved to the UK when she was 13. So, you know, I think everyone has a very different experience in terms of being like first gen in a country. You know, my dad's white British. I think I would have to say there's more of a lean towards the Britishness. I think when my mom moved to the UK, she had a really hard time adjusting and she did get bullied a lot because of her accent and you know, this is the seventies in the UK, like yeah. racism was just very blatant. So I feel everyone has a different experience and I think her experience differs to that of her siblings, but she really struggled as a teenager with that Jamaican identity. And then in turn when it comes to raising your own kids, yeah. I got like a very and that's not to blame her at all, but I got a very kind of limited experience of the Jamaican culture. Obviously I've never been to Jamaica and, you know, to this day, like, it's a thing, you know. Yeah, I'm, my mom hasn't been back for um, over 30 years. So, like, not oh. a country that she knows. And so I think it's very hard when you've got a family and everyone emigrates. You don't have a family home, but, like, you know, grandma isn't there or yeah. granddad isn't there. It's very hard to maintain those links. I do hope to go one day, but I do celebrate my Jamaican side big into the culture in terms of the music and to the food. But at the same time, you know, you can only share what you've experienced you know, or yeah. what you've learned. Yeah, yeah, what you know. So, you know, the rest is education. So, you know, I do hope to have the opportunity to go to Jamaica and kind of learn, learn more about the culture and, and history so that I can share that with my own kids.
0: Yeah, you know, just listening to you talk about that, I'm just reflecting on the fact that perhaps I take my Cameroonian heritage for granted because I do have cousins who are still there. And if I mm-hmm. wanted to go for as long as I've lived outside Cameroon, I mean, I left Cameroon when I was 16, I still call it home, mm-hmm. right? In my yeah, head, it's still I just, home, yeah. Yeah, my yeah. parents are not there, my siblings are not there, but I have extended family there, I have cousins there, I have friends. Mm-hmm. And so I, in my mind is still very much home. And I expect for some reason, Bizarre. I expect Bayling to describe himself as Cameroonian American, even though he, yeah. he's been there once in really? <laughs> ten yeah. years of life, he's been there once for about a yeah. month and that's it. But yeah. Yeah, culture and heritage is some really interesting things. But um where I was going with that is you have a biracial woman raised in the UK and you find yourself in Africa, you stayed. Mm. Let's start with just the energy sector. What has it been like? Uh, Everything I've heard about the energy sector, which I've never worked in, is uh, it can be really a challenging place for women to work. What has your experience been in general terms?
1: Okay, so in general terms, I mean the I've worked in the energy sector in Africa, which I feel is very different to working in energy sector in other places of the world, because there is there's a lot of patriarchy still on the continent and i feel that that is very it's seen it's very apparent um when you get to kind of the higher
0: echelons of
1: the ladder you know echelons you know whether it be in government or whether that be in energy companies so i feel like you know in terms of numbers there are not a lot of women but you know there are you know in terms of who i interact with it's usually with top executives in energy companies and service companies and, and in, you know, in, in governments as well. But then I think it's, ch- it's changing slowly. Mm-hmm. But it's just, you know, first of all, you have to go on a numbers game, you know, and if there's not a lot of women at the top, yeah. then you, you feel like it's going to be reflected, you know, throughout all levels of um, an organisation.
0: So on any given day, first of all, tell me more about the specific kind of work that you do because you talked about events and conferences <coughs> and you're working with top executives. What exactly do you do?
1: I'm part of an organisation called Africa Oil and Powers. We are an Africa-based energy conference. So my husband co-founded the organization back in 2016, and then I became a shareholder. I you know, received his shares in 2017. I worked in the business from 2017 mm-hmm. to mid-last year as commercial director, and now I sit on the board as, okay. as majority shareholder. So I, I'm not working in the business day-to-day. And in terms of, of of what we do, we started with one Pan African conference in Cape Town, yeah,
0: um,
1: back in 2016. I think uh, I attended and, that one. Yeah, yeah, and then we've expanded across the continent. So um, we we're, we're in Equatorial Guinea, Angola, South Sudan, Senegal for the first time this year, and um, we've done conferences in London as well. And it's we're Pan African at heart. You know, we believe that the continent has to have its say and its platform to promote indigenous companies local content um, investment into the continent but you have to at the same time an industry like energy doesn't work in isolation so there is a lot of international investment and it's about you know making sure Africa has the best uh, portrayal you know because it's a competitive market investors have choices as to where they want to put their money so just um, showcasing the opportunities and projects that the continent has to offer.
0: Okay, so you said something that it's all interesting, but one thing stands out: majority shareholder. Uh So Uh (laughs) let's talk about that for a bit. (laughs) So one of the things is an organization that I'm very, very passionate about, and I work very closely with them, and that's the Boardroom Africa. And mm-hmm. under the leadership of Marcia Ashong, and their mission is to place as many women on boards across Africa and mm-hmm. the world as possible. So, when I hear I sit on the board and majority shareholder, I'm thinking, okay, this must present some really interesting challenges. What was that experience like for you on a day to day basis? Uh,
1: on a day to day basis, I'm going to explain, like, from the beginning, because I think just to give some of the listeners context, so I became shareholder when I was 27 years old, which I feel which is very unusual in terms of acquiring a a holding in our company. I was very young, I've never kind of sat in that kind of position of power before, and and I was told by other shareholders at the time, you don't deserve to be here, so that was a a huge knock to my confidence and something that I really struggled with for a very long time in terms of I'm not qualified. I don't have an MBA. This is my first kind of foray into working at a board level of an organization. But at the same time, you know, I knew I was qualified in terms of that I'm good with people. I'm pragmatist. I like solving problems. I can foresee, you know, issues and things of that nature. So I thought, okay, you Just because I don't have a piece of paper attesting to kind of those management skills, I know I I do possess the most important ones in terms of helping organization forward. Those first couple of years, I was in the business day-to-day, so I had less, less emphasis on the board, whereas now I'm out of the business. It's really given me the perspective to work on some really key issues in terms of building the company forward. And I'm the only female shareholder. I'm the youngest. I'm the only... Person who's brown or black, and you know we're working on the wow. continent, so I knew my what my calling was, and that was to make sure that we are grounded in terms of organization in hiring africans and I feel like the conclusion that I've come to is that i have i mean a lot of people have a very eurocentric or western centric view of what diversity is, and I feel like that argument is kind of null and void on the continent because majority of our, our talent is black,
0: black so yes. we shouldn't be
1: having like this diversity it's like no we should be pro-African um I feel like if we're looking at diversity okay then we're talking about male female we're talking about disabilities we're talking about the LGBTQ sector you know it, people in society so I feel like you know when we're talking at least on a continent about yeah. diversity I feel like it's a different language and different conversation that yeah. we're supposed to be having.
0: Yeah, that's really interesting. So the youngest, only woman, and only... Well, I don't even know what to call it in the African context. Mm-hmm. the American context, I would call it the only person of colour in Africa. It's like, okay, the only brown person. I'll use your term. Only the brown, way.
1: yeah, yes. You know, in terms of, like, labels, like... As I've seen, it's like, not every person of colour is
0: your ally, yeah. you know? Yeah, well, yeah two people... <laughs>
1: Right? <laughs> yeah. It's, you know, there's lots of uh, variety and experiences within like that person of color label. So, um, And I feel like, you know, how I identify myself in the UK is very, it doesn't really translate in South Africa because, first of all, of the history and, you know, the legacy of apartheid, it's very, very different to wherever. Yeah. <laughs> Where, yeah. Wherever else I am in the world.
0: Exactly. Um, you know, in the
1: UK, I, ident- I identify as mixed race or as black.
0: Yeah. That would be the case in the
1: U.S., but in Africa, I'm definitely not seen as black. Just of how I look, people would say, oh, you're colored, and then I open my mouth, I hear a British accent, they're like, okay, I'm confused, confused, like, what's going on here? Yeah,
0: Yeah, the fact that these lines are so porous when you go from country to country, and even in the U.S., I mean, I feel like every time the census comes out, there's a new kind of rating or, I guess, category, for lack of a better word, for race.
1: Yeah, but like as you say, like, between countries or between like cultures, there's a lot of variation.
0: And nuance. So, mm. 2017, you become majority shareholder. Now, three years later, are you much more comfortable in the skin that you're in, in that role? Or mm. are you still kind of going through the growing pains?
1: I think it's a combination of both. I mean, in terms of how I feel, I feel a lot more confident. I've had the opportunity to kind of educate myself it's, um, in terms of let me read up more about these issues, let me understand, let me get more comfortable in terms of interpreting contracts, let me get more comfortable in terms of interpreting legislation and how it affects our business. But then there's, I feel like, uh, in terms of how the structure of the board, I feel like, it's still always going to be some some level of difficulties because, you know, those fundamental things still haven't changed. I'm still the youngest. I'm still, yeah. the only, <laughs> yeah. I'm still the only woman and I'm still, you know, the only black or brown person. And for me, it's like, you know, I want to get to a point where our organization is very reflective of the continent and very reflective of different experiences. The experience of someone from the diaspora is very different to someone who yes. has grown up on the continent. Yeah. And I feel there's value in both. And so for me, it's like when you're looking at attracting the best talent, that you have to look at the diaspora as well. There's so much opportunity. US, Canada, Australia, UK, like there's, there's so much r- richness there. And there are young people who are wanting to move back to the continent and try something new after, you know, spending 20 odd years elsewhere.
0: Yeah. What is the, the best piece of advice anyone gave? I know your husband loves to give <laughs> advice, but him, one of the best piece of advice you got either from him or anybody else as you stepped into that role mm. and as you continue to grow in it?
1: Yeah, I think you know, if you find yourself in a new position, especially of a position of power, mm. I feel the most important advice that you should always keep at heart is is that you deserve to be there. Whatever the circumstances surrounding your arrival, it doesn't matter how you got there but from the moment you were there in the room you deserve to be there so and that's something that as long as you are clear on then people will accept Accept in time there's nothing that can be done like i'm in the room now i'm gonna <laughs> put the biggest chairs at
0: the table i really <laughs> like you. that i like that because we talked so much about imposter syndrome especially for women Oh, definitely. And it's that strong sense of, I don't belong. And what you said just cuts through that, right? It's just, first of all, just accept that you belong. Let's have that as the working premise, then we'll figure it out from there. But if you're still questioning whether you, yeah. like, you need to be in the room, whether you deserve to be in the room, we can't even take step two. So, yeah. No.
1: Yeah, you have to be, like, very confident in that, in that fact. There's always going to be a journey, but whatever... There are many people, and I feel, feel like it's going to be more and more common with women, who are going to either inherit or come into a position of power through kind of family businesses. Yes. And and there's always that drama and hierarchy and whatnot. But at the end of the day, you sign those papers but now. You are the older. So that is it. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you, were <there. laughs> you were there. You were there. And, you know, people may grumble. I watched a fantastic Nollywood um, movie and... This girl becomes the owner of her late father's business, and there's all these grumblings There's the the uncle who yes. thinks it should have been him. To, yes. da, 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 da. But at the end of the day, she was the boss. <laughs> so, and she had to step up. And you know, for me, like I feel like that's going to become the norm. Yeah. You know, especially with these kind of these businesses, these Pan African businesses, you're going to get more and more women
0: stepping into those roles. Yeah. No. So I don't know if you catch that you're doing this, but your yeah, show that literally just like, I'm the boss. Like, just... Boss. <laughs> <laughs> and I love when you just said, I'm the Oga. Because he started growing up. I don't, I don't know if that's what you said, but that's what I heard. Oga used to be something that I would hear a Nigerian neighbor say in relation to the businessman, mm. CEO, or whatever. But to use Oga to describe a woman, that I haven't heard people say before. And
1: yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean... Powerful. I mean, yeah, but I don't know if there's an equivalent in Nigerian culture, West African culture, for a female version of Oga. But like I've heard people describe, but she is the Oga. She is the boss woman. Yeah. So so told the You I
0: Let Let's keep it moving. Yeah, I love that. Now, going back to the very, very beginning, because we jumped mm. right into weightlifting. That body will be weightlifting. Yeah, Kelly. How did you get into weightlifting? It looks as if you're very attracted to male-dominated spaces. So tell me about weightlifting and how you got into it.
1: <laughs> so I've always been um, a sporty person. I played, I played sport throughout school. I kind of, kind of got to my early 20s and I felt a bit lost. I think what's so beautiful about school is that you have all these organized team sports. You know, yeah. there's tournaments, there's practice, and I feel like you kind of lose that as you go to university. There's less structure in terms mm-hmm. of, of sport. I just had a baby. I was getting ready for our white wedding, our big ceremony. I wanted to look good. And um, I found a personal trainer who owned a CrossFit gym. And so I worked with him for a couple of months. And I see I would always come after the nine o'clock class. And that was usually full of moms. Yeah, and there was these, you know, these moms in their thirties and forties looking good, lifting weights, (laughs) doing all these pull-ups and all these chest to bar and all these things. And I'm like, okay, I want to, I want to find out. So, how I got into weightlifting was through CrossFit. And then maybe listeners who are familiar with the concept of CrossFit, but um, it was started over ten years ago as a way of bringing, kind of formalizing functional fitness and kind of creating small gyms they call them boxes around the world um and it's a fantastic community and it's a great way in if you were kind of wanting to do uh, have a very varied fitness regime that yeah. also incorporates weights it's very kind of family friendly mother friendly and there's boxes all over the world yeah. definitely in every major city yes yeah. So that's how I kind of got into it. I really enjoy the weightlifting aspect. So, you know, I'd always look forward to when that was the program for the day for Olympic weightlifting. And yeah, I just discovered this whole community that was focused on eating that, eating well, like, you know, looking after your nutrition and your rest and your sleep and your recovery. Um, that's something that I really promote in terms of like our family, like my husband, he's really getting into working out on a regular basis and making that a habit rather than yeah like a chore like oh my god like yeah. i have to go to the gym
0: yeah so i used to see the little uh videos here we send around these little videos of you lifting what is the most you can lift okay
1: so my one rep max back squat is 140 kilos that's like almost three of me <laughs> Yeah, so at the time that's like doubled my body weight. Wow! I could also deadlift 140 kilos. I could snatch like 75 kilos, clean and jerk 90 kilos, clean. So a clean is from the floor to the shoulders. So I could clean 100 kilos. And snatch. And obviously, just... like I'm not lifting those weights right now, being yeah, pregnant. Yes. But I'm still lifting weights. Um, oh, you I'm can lift. You I'm... can lift when you're pregnant. That's doctor. most definitely okay. I mean, so I think the traditional advice from doctors is is very cautious, and I think they say you should be lifting anything over 25 pounds. Okay. I have a four-year-old who definitely weighs more than 25 pounds, so... (laughs) And super active. um, Yeah, so, you know, my daughter's probably, like, 45 pounds, so I'm lifting her multiple times a day. I've got a one-year-old who's probably about... 25 30 pounds and so I feel like if you're lifting that type of weight in your day-to-day whether it's groceries kids
0: yeah you're gonna be able to lift more than that That, so it's
1: a combination of what's sensible I'm not using a barbell anymore because I've got a bit of a bump so I don't want to accidentally knock my bump. but I can use kettlebells I can use dumbbells so I just work around and I've got a coach who sends me my programming for the week. I work out at our home, so I've got a garage gym. Okay. And um she writes the, the programming and it depends how I feel, how much I've slept as to how heavy I would load something. Okay. Um in terms of how much weight I would use. But I feel like if you want to look good and feel good then Weightlifting in your fitness regime is a must. And um, you know, you start where you're at, no one's asking you to pick up a heavy barbell. You know, yeah. if all you can do is five kg dumbbell,
0: you use that, and go with it. I think my max has been the ten kg dumbbell. <coughs> I, think, I think that's it. I'm more of the yoga style of life. I'm just like, I mean, I was always very blown away when I saw you lifting, I'm like, okay. That's great. Something I yeah. probably will never do, but that's fantastic.
1: But even in yoga, you're still lifting weight. You're still holding your body weight. Your body
0: weight, yes. You know what I mean? Yes.
1: Yeah. So that's still, if you're able to work with your body weight, that is yeah. still so, something that's super, super valuable and effective. Yeah.
0: Like. What is the feeling, if you can if put it in words, when, when you lift, what is the feeling that most resonates in you? I don't know what it is when you lift from the floor to above your head. What is, what is that called?
1: So in one movement, it's the snatch from the floor straight to overhead.
0: Yes. Yeah, so, so, yeah, when you do the snatch, learning new things. Yeah. What is the feeling that you get from that?
1: It's a accomplishment more than anything, like mm. sense of accomplishment. The snatch is one of the most technical, it is the most technical lifting movements. Mm-hmm. It requires a lot of technique in addition to a lot of strength. And so if I'm preparing to do a very heavy snatch towards the end of my range, and I'm hitting it, and I'm hitting it consistently. I feel very accomplished in yeah. terms of. It takes a lot of concentration and kind of patience with yourself, and that's what I like about weightlifting. You you learn about a lot about body awareness and timing and yeah. breath work and things of that nature. And I feel if you're more in tune with your body, you're going to become more successful in lifting. Or and you know it's got so much crossover to real life. You know if you've got if you've got that bodily awareness. You know how you're going to handle yourself in certain situations and, you know, keep yourself calm or, you know, get yourself pumped up, whatever the, the occasion is calling for.
0: And I was just going to ask if that translates to the boardroom, which obviously just hearing you talk, it does. It translates into your everyday life, so it definitely translates into the boardroom and, and your workplace.
1: Hmm, I think one of the, the big things in lifting is getting inside of your head, like overthinking what you're about to do. Uh. So in terms of like the that mental preparation for lifting, it's like you have to get out of your head and you just have to do. And I think that's the same when you go into a big meeting. It's like stop overthinking, And that's what women do. Yes, do, beauty so badly. Charge. We create all these scenarios. What if, what if, what if. Yes, and we're in our heads so much. Beauty. <laughs> but if you just go and do, it's far more effective. And you're going and... It's never as stressful as you think it's going to be. Yeah. <laughs> when, you, yeah. when you actually go and just do.
0: And we know that, and yet the next time around, I do the same dance. I mean, my head. Yeah. Head, yeah. Head. You do
1: the same. Yeah. Same thing. Yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah.
1: It's nice to kind of just get out of the head. It's me, the barbell, getting it from here, from point A to point B, and and we're good. So um, yeah, I really enjoy it. Awesome.
0: So Kelly, I've taken up a lot of your time, but I do want to ask this before we go. What would you give as advice or reflection for anyone who's listening to this, whether it's on being the youngest, brownest, (laughs) only woman (laughs) in a boardroom, or whether it's around some of the work that you're doing on the ground, or whether it's really around more of your um, weightlifting or motherhood? And your entire journey, what is the biggest lesson that has come to you so far that you'd want to share with us?
1: I think that I've had a lot of really fantastic experiences despite my young age. And so for me, I feel like age is irrelevant in a lot of scenarios, because Mm -hmm. if you're talking about something with confidence, with, with knowledge, and you're delivering it right, any kind of Fear or doubt that you may have about your ability to perform or your ability to lead is irrelevant. I think a lot of people expect people in leadership roles to be of a certain age to have a certain experience. Yeah. But I do feel there is a place for those who, like other people, like what have you done in your maternity leave? You know, there's still things. You know, people volunteer with you know community groups and, or in the, in schools and it's and it's so valuable. You know, first, women don't recognize that they have achieved a lot during the time that they've taken off to look yes. after their child. But yes. then equally, people aren't recognizing recognising the value of what mothers bring in, you know maternity. Yeah, maternity leave isn't a holiday. Let's just leave it at that. Yes,
0: yes, especially because we don't actually sleep. I remember after I had Balin, I stood on the balcony one day, and I'm like, oh, my God, if somebody does not take this baby from, that cry, from crying in that corner, I'm going to jump off. Because, I mean... When you don't sleep, it's something that happens to your mind. Right? Like You're not thinking properly. So I think to your point, there's not a lot of credence given to working moms or even moms who are working too. because they are working. Yeah. 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 So no, thank you for that perspective. Really appreciate it and really appreciate your time, Kelly. And I hope you'll come back to see us. I'm really keen to hear where the journey goes with OPA. And- AOP, yeah. Sorry. Oh, Yes. I'm thinking Olivia Pope and okay. I'm <laughs> I I'm Olivia Pope. Okay, come back. i Congratulations to Congratulations <laughs> on the baby and speak to you really, really soon.
1: Thanks for having me, AB. I really appreciate the opportunity.
0: Likewise, Kelly. Thank you so much. Cheers, thanks. Bye. Bye-bye. I hope you enjoyed our latest episode. Share your thoughts in the comments below or by emailing ab at mamatalktalk.com. Continue the conversation in your homes and communities. And when you join us next week, please invite a friend or many. For more diverse perspectives on everyday issues from everyday people around the globe, please subscribe to our podcast at mamatalktalk.com forward slash a different tape. And join our online family by following us on Twitter and Instagram. Until we meet again, I'm your host, Avi Mambo. Sigashina, stay well.